Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 130 of the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm assistant to Peter Lightheart, the president of Theopolis Institute. Theopolis Institute trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, Peter Lightheart's going to discuss the text for the second Sunday in the season of Lent. We really hope that you enjoy this conversation over these passages, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Theopolis Podcast. This is Peter Lightheart, and I'm here with Brian Motes. And today we're discussing the readings for the second Sunday of Lent uh, in 2018. The readings for this coming Sunday are Genesis 17, a couple of sections of that chapter, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 15 and 16. Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, and then the last part of Mark chapter 8, Mark 8, verses 27 to 38. And uh, obviously these are all chosen as Lenten readings, uh, but I think they bring out different aspects of our commemoration of Lent and our uh, our other practices of Lent. Um, Genesis 17 is the famously the passage where the Lord institutes the covenant of circumcision. And it's important to see the rite of circumcision in the context of the promises that are given at the beginning of the chapter, um, and also to recognize how the particular sign of circumcision relates to those promises. Um, sometimes when circumcision, begin to discuss circumcision, we get uh, uh, distracted and we don't think about the specific uh, physical act of circumcision and what kind of mark in the flesh it is. But the specific mark is important, just like the specific uh, uh, rite of baptism, the, the use of water, the specific rite of the Lord's Supper, using bread and wine in a particular way. Uh, those are uh, the the uh, the physical details of those rites are are important. The physical details of the rite of circumcision are uh, part of what the part of the significance of circumcision. But the chapter begins with a reiteration of the promise of the covenant. The Lord is going to establish his covenant with Abram forever, that he's going to multiply his family so that he'll be a father of many nations. The Lord promises that a multitude of nations will come from you and kings shall come forth from you. So there's this uh, strong emphasis at the beginning of chapter 17 on the seed promise, on the abundance of uh, Abram's descendants. Uh, that's not new. That's something that the Lord has been promising to Abram since he first called him, but now that promises that promise is reiterated, and it's marked by the uh, uh, the bestowal of a new name on Abram, Abram, which uh, uh, is uh, as Jim Jordan likes to say means Big Daddy, becomes Abraham, which is maximum maximum Daddy. Uh, it, the name is expanded; it gets bigger, and it's more it's a more honorific title for a father. Uh, Sarah's name also is changed. And so this promise of abundant seed is uh, uh, an abundant descendants is that that's marked partly by the name change, but then the the sign of the covenant that's given for Abram and his descendants is the sign of circumcision. Circumcision, of course, involves a a cut in the flesh. It's a, it's a cutting off of the foreskin of the flesh, 
the foreskin of the male uh, organ of generation. And that specific rite is important for understanding how this, how this uh, sign is supposed to, what the sign is supposed to communicate. The promise is a promise of abundant descendants. It's a promise given to Abraham and to Sarah who have no descendants at this point. Abraham has only Ishmael, but the, the two of them have not had any children at this point. Uh, and now the Lord says, in order to, uh, f- as a sign of the fulfillment of this promise, this promise of uh, fruitfulness and uh, fertility, I want you to cut off your organ of fertility. Um, this is it, circumcision is among other things a symbolic castration. Um, I watched a number of my sons get circumcised, and I can't remember now which one it was, but we 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 hired a a rabbi to circumcise one of them, and uh, so rather old rabbi, and uh, a little bit shaky. And when he performed the circumcision, I was sure he had cut off more than he ought to. Uh, it was kind of an alarming thing to watch. It it looked like it looked like he was cutting off my son's penis. <laughs> he was cutting off the foreskin, but it looked like he was eliminating his hope <laughs> for um, descendants at all. And that's that's the significance of circumcision in the context of these promises. Abram has uh, been. Um, living with Sarah, had no children. The flesh is powerless. Uh, Abram is now in his 90s. He's, as Paul says, he's as good as dead. Sarah has never had children, and she's past childbearing years. Both of them are as good as dead. Uh, they, in Just in the flesh, there's no way that they can produce any kind of descendants. There's no way that these promises can be fulfilled. And circumcision is a sign of their lack of confidence in flesh. It's a sign of renunciation of hope in the flesh. Uh, the flesh is not, it's hopeless as far as fleshly children are concerned. They're going to have to rely on the power of God, uh, a miraculous child, a child of the Spirit, as Paul calls him in uh, Galatians 4. Uh, and that's what circumcision signifies. It, circum- it signifies this renunciation of the flesh that um, um, heightens the irony of the Judaizers in the New Testament who have turned this uh, sign of renunciation into a sign of boasting. Uh, Paul says that the Judaizers are boasting in the flesh, implied they're boasting in the flesh of circumcision, which is really ironic because circumcision is a removal of flesh. They're, boast, they're boasting in an absence, in a nothing, in something that they should have given up. And I think uh, once we see that, we can see the connection between, uh, I think that, that opens up the whole story of Abraham. It's all about the Lord's, relying on the Lord's power to overcome his own uh, weakness, the weakness of his flesh. It's all about Abraham's faith in resurrection power. And that's still the case when we get into the following chapters when Abraham takes, Abraham takes uh, Isaac to Mount Moriah ready to sacrifice him. He's taking a child who's already been risen from the dead and he's taking him up to the mountain to sacrifice him. He knows that the Lord can raise the dead. He's already seen it happen. And so he goes confident that he's going to come back with Isaac. And I think that also helps to see the Lenten uh, dimensions of this passage. Uh, Lent is about the um, uh, its mortification of the flesh, uh, among other things. It's uh, about our uh, self-examination, confession of sin, abandoning sin, trusting in the Lord's power, trusting in the Spirit. 
Uh, Lent is a focused time when we seek to give up the works of the flesh and put on the works of the Spirit. Of course, we should be doing that all the time. Of course, every day should be a day of mortification and, and vivification, to use the Puritan language. Uh, of course, that's the case, but there's uh, a pastoral usefulness in having a time of focused attention to these things during the course of the year when the church as a whole is uh, is uh, taking time to t- time for self-examination and renunciation of the flesh. Romans 5 is a different uh, sort of Lenten passage. Uh, the beginning of Romans 5 is picking up on Paul's declarations about justification uh, throughout Romans 4, and uh, Paul is drawing some of the conclusions from that. Having been justified, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, peace and glory are the, are the consequences of justification. Uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained introduction of faith, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. So these are things that follow on our justification. We're accepted by God uh, in Christ. Uh, we have our righteous standing uh, in Christ before the Father. Uh, and that is a righteousness unto life. We're justified to life, as Paul says in the second half of uh, Romans 5. Justification is a justification unto new life. It's justification unto peace with God. It's justification to glory. And, and Paul not only is uh, he's not only talking about our right standing, but he talks about the way that our standing with God casts uh, all of our life, and especially all of our tribulations and sufferings, uh, cast a new light on all of that because we stand in peace with uh, right with God because we're at peace with God our tribulations aren't frustrating or um, we don't uh, we don't uh, lament our tribulations rather Paul says that we exalt in tribulations we rejoice in tribulations not not in the tribulations not non tribulations themselves or in out of some kind of masochistic self uh, uh, self, uh, inf- self-affliction. We rejoice in our tribulations because we know that the the God who has given us a right standing in His Son uh, brings perseverance, character, hope out of those tribulations. It, tribulations have their effect. Tribulations sanctify us. Tribulations are part of the way that the Lord uh, removes, strips away the flesh, mortifies our flesh, and gives us the grace to rise to newness of life, that, that continuous process that, that comes to those who have a right standing with God. Um, Paul ends the passage that uh, that's assigned for this week in, in Romans by um, uh, this uh, ringing statement of God's love for us uh, in, in a condition of sin. God loved for us. God loved us when we were still sinners. God Christ died for us when we were his enemies. Christ died for us when we were ungodly. Uh, it's not because we've uh, inched our way toward God that he's uh, responded to us by sending his son. Uh, he's uh, sent his son to rescue us when we could do nothing for ourselves uh, and brought us into this right standing. He's delivered us from the realm of darkness and, and uh, justified us into new life uh, which, with the glory and, the, and the, various, uh, uh, the various gifts that come from that. So again, that's a, a different kind of angle on uh, the commemoration of Lent. Um, Jesus died for us so that we could have this right standing so that 
uh, our tribulations and sufferings can produce the character that God wants so we can be remade into the image of Christ. Uh, Mark 8 is a uh, crucial passage in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's a turning point. Um, most of the structural analyses I've seen of Mark uh, place chapter 8 at the center of either of a chiastic structure that covers the whole book. When I've taught on Mark and when I've written on it in uh, the four, I've suggested that Mark has kind of a panel construction where you begin Mark with a couple of statements about the, uh, a couple of um, uh, indications that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what Mark calls Jesus right in the first verse. Jesus is declared the Son of God in uh, at the baptism. And then at the beginning of chapter 9, we have the transfiguration that we looked at a few weeks ago. And there again, Jesus is declared to be Son of God. So those chapter 1 and chapter 9 match up with the Father declaring Jesus to be Son. The first half of the book climaxes with the confession of Peter, which is, you are the Christ. But Peter doesn't get to the point of acknowledging Jesus as Son. And that's significant in Mark's Gospel. Uh, the second half of the book begins with the Father declaring Jesus to be the Son at, at the Transfiguration. And it does climax with a declaration of Jesus as Son. The Father's declaration is echoed by a human being, by the centurion who sees Jesus die. So you have this first half of the book that the reader, we as readers know that Jesus is the Son, but at the climax of that, Peter gets very close to the confession of Jesus as Son, but doesn't quite get there. And it's only when you get go through the second half of the book, starting with the transfiguration, climaxing with the crucifixion and the resurrection, then you have the, uh, the, the sole human being in the book that recognizes Jesus as son. And I think the, the logic of that is that you have, you have a shift in, uh, in the course of Mark between the first eight chapters and the last eight chapters. You have to shift in what is meant by that, by that term, what it means to be the son of God or what it means to be the Christ. Uh, in the first half of the book, Jesus is a, uh, a, a man on the move. He is going from one thing to the next, from one triumph to the next. He casts out demons. He confronts the Gadarene demoniac, and a demoniac that no one can, no one can uh, chain up or restrain. Jesus rebukes him. In fact, before Jesus even rebukes the demons or sends the demons out, the demoniac is bowing down and cowering before Jesus. Jesus is the stronger man who's come to plunder the strong man's house. And he goes from triumph to triumph. And that leads Peter finally to the confession, you are the Christ. But then Jesus immediately, immediately after Peter confesses that, Jesus begins to tell them he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be rejected. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. Uh, and the, Peter can't fit that into his conception of what it means to be Christ. Uh, we know the story of Peter rebukes Jesus, and Jesus tells him that his uh, Peter is interested in the things of man rather than the things of God, and that's a satanic interest. Get behind me, Satan, because you're placing your interests, uh, you're putting the interests of men uh, ahead of the interests of God. Um, Peter can't fit a suffering, uh, rejected, Jesus into his conception of what it means to be a Messiah. Um, but that becomes the theme of the second half of the book. Uh, Jesus, the triumphant strongman of the first half, becomes the uh, suffering uh, servant of the second half of the book. Of course, that is, in fact, 
his most important triumph, his most decisive triumph, is when he gives himself on the cross. That's when he really does show himself to be son of God. That's when the centurion acknowledges him to be, him, him to be son of God. So by the time we get to the end of uh, Mark, our whole conception of what it means for Jesus to be son of God and Jesus to be Christ has been transformed. We're no longer looking for a strong man who has success after success after success. Uh, the strong man is the one who overcomes by giving himself for his people. Uh, the son of God is the one who goes to the cross. And disciples are people who follow Jesus along the way of the cross. That's the, that's the way to triumph. That's the only way to gain your life. As Jesus says in the, uh, the gospel reading for this Sunday, if you want to preserve your life, you'll lose it. If you want to save your life by distancing yourself from Jesus or by being self-protective, uh, then you won't uh, gain your life. You'll lose it. But if you give your life for Jesus, if you take up your cross and follow in the way of the Son of God, which is the way of suffering, uh, that's the way of glory and that's the way of life. Uh, of course, that's a that's a great Lenten message. That that's the that's the theme of Lent. That the the Lord, the Savior, the strong man, is the one who gives himself for his people, and uh, he calls us to bear the cross with him, and to follow him in the way of crucifixion and death. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.